Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is November the 2nd, 2021. This is episode 2980 of the Survival Podcast. And before I tell you the title, if you haven't already seen it, I want you to, I want you to pause if it's not typically the subject you want to learn about. Today we're doing a show called 16 Things Bitcoin and Crypto Have Made People Aware Of. I, I, I honest to God believe that crypto, and specifically Bitcoin, is the one asset that everybody is in a position today where you can't afford not to own some of it. However, if you never, ever touch crypto, you want to listen to today's show. Because today's show is not really about crypto. It's about all the things that crypto and specifically Bitcoin have made people aware of. Now, yes, that will lead you to understand how many of the solutions to these issues lie in crypto. But it's up to you what you do with that. These are 16 things that we should teach people in school. And when I say school, I don't mean private education for the wealthy, because they learn a lot of this stuff in their private education. I mean the school that they steal money from you that your kids go to school at against your will in a compulsory education system if you're still letting your children be educated by the state. If we're going to have that, then we should learn about everything here. Many of these subjects I have spoken about with this audience before crypto existed. But what has happened is an unveiling for the average person. People get into cryptocurrency and Bitcoin for... The primary reason, they think they're going, to get a, they're going to make a lot of money. And, and sometimes they do. And sometimes they don't. But that's the, that's the thing that brings you in. But what ends up happening is people start wanting to understand. And when they get off buying stupid dog coins and stuff like that, and they actually understand something like absolute scarcity in the model of Bitcoin, they begin to educate themselves. They begin to educate themselves in a way that you can only actually obtain that education by doing it yourself. Even when there's people out there like me and others and, and, and all different aspects of how this is being taught, some of this is definitely right in the wheelhouse of Austrian economics. Some of it is, uh, well, it's different. I'll leave it at that. But there's, there's tons of sources. So when I say educate yourself, I don't mean that you have to go out and uh, start studying ancient books on wealth and money and economic policy. There's plenty of people willing to give you the information. But that's the key. It's given. It's given freely to those who seek an answer. Not necessarily put together in one place in a special program just for you, though I've tried to make today kind of a 101 course on these concepts for you for free. But if you're listening to me right now, it's because you've chosen to. It's not because it was inserted into your college or your high school curriculum, though, it, again, I think it should be. And that's what I mean when I say crypto and Bitcoin specifically have revealed these things. And not even that every single thing that I'm going to talk about is specifically solved by. But if you look at something and go, that's, that's really great, except, well, you just figured out how important that except is to you. We're changing the way the average person thinks. I'll share with you one more thing before we get through uh, with our sponsor segments for the day. Do you know how many people in the country own Bitcoin right now as a percentage? 
as a percentage, what is the percentage of American citizens who own at least some Bitcoin today? Not crypto, some Bitcoin. The answer is about 23%. I have a link to a story where all of the statistics in today's uh, show notes come from that lays this out very, very clearly. On top of that, 44% of the people that own crypto in America would be classified as millennials. And that would be defined by demographers as being born between 1981 and 1996. The next highest group, Gen Xers. Those are the people that are actually running the country right now. Not, not as politicians, but as decision makers. 44% of the total Americans who own Bitcoin are millennials. Remember when we started the show 13 years ago? Millennials were idiots in the minds of most people. I think a lot of people still think they are. They haven't figured out that like a decade plus has gone on, right? The millennials are not a bunch of children anymore. They're 30-somethings. They're out earning livings for their families, and they're investing in this. And it's because of the 16 things that I'll reveal to you today. Before we get into those 16 things, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is KnifeKits.com. Not only is this country suffering from economic illiteracy, We're, we're, we're suffering from skill set illiteracy, in my opinion. People can't do anything anymore. And I'm not talking, I'm not picking on millennials or, or Gen Z or even Gen X or even the old folks or anything like that. I mean, in general, across the board, the skill set of the average American when it comes to hard skills today is pathetic compared to what it was a hundred years ago. My grandfather, I watched my grandfather fix a boat, an outboard boat motor with a pair of pliers and a screwdriver that absolutely wouldn't start. We were stuck in the middle of the Susquehanna River. I watched him do it. I don't know if I could do that today. And I'm a mechanic by trade. I actually was trained as a mechanic. And it doesn't always have to be that MacGyverish, right? But having basic skill sets, like how to build a knife, that translates into so many other skill sets, guys. It really does. And you can get everything you need to start building knives, maybe making heirlooms with your kids or your grandkids or your nieces and your nephews, nephews at KnifeKits.com. Check them out today again, KnifeKits.com. Next up today, the Free State Project. If, if you haven't noticed, the country is, is a very different place depending on where you live in it. I'm very grateful I live in Texas. You know, as much as we don't want to move and leave our kids behind, my wife looked at me several times recently, dead in the eye, as serious as a heart attack, and said, if we didn't live in Texas or Florida or New Hampshire or South Dakota or somewhere like that, when all this crap started, we'd have moved. That's a big statement. So there's a lot of people looking to utilize the mobility of the republic right now to vote with their feet. One great place you can look at to do that is the Free State Project in New Hampshire. And why not take a vacation in New Hampshire, meet some cool people while you're on vacation, get a feel if it's right for you. Go to fsp.org forward slash visit NH to learn how to do just that. And with that, let's go ahead and dig on into today's topic. And what you're about to hear is a transition as we go from me just podcasting with the microphone behind the desk to a live stream on YouTube, float as well. Um, I am going to be live streaming what I would call the heart or the body or the core of most podcasts going forward if they are interviews or if they are singular subjects. 
When I'm doing things like expert counsel Q&A and all, I just do not have the AV gear nor the time or patience right now to set up the AV gear to be able to do that on a live stream. I just don't. Those shows are designed to be kind of an easy day for me where I can you know, consolidate everything. I'm also going to continue with the Outback with Jack uh, live feeds on Fridays, which before it came up on vacation, everybody seemed to really love, so we're going to keep doing those. Another little announcement, though, before we transition here. Um, next week, we're going back to some, uh, what am I looking for here, um, rewind episodes. We, I have to. I have, you know... It, it kind of scares me right now that I have like seven days before the workshop starts and I took a vacation and things like that. Um, that's something we've never done before is taking a vacation leading right up to a workshop. So I'm going to have to do that next week. But I'm, I'm, again, I'm thinking that Thursday and Friday and Saturday next week, since we'll be live streaming tons of presentations, right? So um, on Thursday, we will not live stream the property walks with Nick Ferguson and myself because I just logistically can't, but every other presentation will be live stream. I think we're just going to not do a podcast Thursday and Friday. And we're going to rely on the live streams. Those will be on YouTube. More details will come later this week on how to do that. And with that, let's go ahead and jump on in. And so you might hear me answer a question or two or something like that during this presentation. And I invite you to start participating in our live feeds. And if you want to be able to do that, just follow me on social media like Telegram and all that because then you're going to get a notification. And also remember, if like you see a notice that Jack's going to be on live streaming on YouTube in an hour or two hours or tomorrow... You can click the link. I always provide the link. And you can go there and tell YouTube, remind me. Now, I know I hate YouTube. I do. I, I, I can't stand them. I call them ScrewTube. But for right now, they're the easiest way for me to do this. So I continue to use them. And yes, I do mean it when I say use them. Here we go. All right, guys, let's uh, dig on into this subject today. Um, we're going to be talking about 16 things that Bitcoin and crypto in general, I think, have made people aware of. And I want to be clear when we dig into this, I don't mean that, like, well, no one ever knew. No one in the world ever knew this stuff. And then Bitcoin came and other cryptos came and then everybody became aware. Or that when you, when you jump into crypto and you start educating yourself, that immediately all 16 of these things, and, and as I said during my intro for the audio podcast, there's there's more than 16, that like immediately the light goes on for all these things. They don't. There, there's probably people out there that have been in crypto for five years or more that have not figured all these things out yet. What I mean is these things are true. And for many of us who are of the school of thought of libertarianism, Austrian economics, and, and overall economic literacy... We've been talking about parts of them or all of them or components of them for a very long time. Crypto, and again, really Bitcoin is, is the primary driver here, I think, though, has done more to switch that light bulb on for, for people than educators like myself have. Because when you become vested into something, and when you begin to do the research so that you can understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, and you can defend what you now have, things become way more important to you than some guy, a talking head, or a, a faceless body on an audio podcast, which is where most of my information's come from until very recently. I haven't really done much with YouTube. I've been pretty much 100% an audio podcaster. 
So you have this disembodied voice whispering to you in your ears. And I know for many of you, I've been doing that for a long time, but to start reaching the numbers of people becoming aware of these concepts that we are hitting today, we needed something like a Bitcoin, something to kind of break through to people. And I think there's a big misconception still in Bitcoin today, and many of much of it comes from us, who we do you know categorize ourselves as libertarians, anarchos, anarchists, anarcho-capitalists, voluntarists, etc. And that is that like Bitcoin just attracts libertarians and anarchists. Like that's what Bitcoin attracts. I'd say if we're talking 2011, 2014-ish, yes. Today that's not the case. It's not the case at all. We're reaching a phase of, like, global adoption. Right now, the best estimates we have, 23% of Americans own at least some Bitcoin. Now, if you go to just crypto, the number's probably bigger, but just Bitcoin, 23%, call it 20, 2 in 10 people that you see walking around the street hold at least a little bit of Bitcoin. The number one demographic holding Bitcoin today, millennials. Uh, define, let me so I don't mess this up because different demographers use it different ways. In this particular study, it was defined as people born between 81 and 96. 44% of all Bitcoin holders fall in that demographic. The next largest demographic, I don't remember the percentile, but it's like 29% are people like me, Gen Xers. Right? So we, we, we don't have 22% of the country, this is just the U.S. demographics that are libertarian. If we did, um, our country would be a little bit different than it is. And if you said, well, what is the libertarian demographic? I, I think you'd probably hone in mostly on Gen Xers. We were the ones that were old enough. We remember the rise of the LP, etc. Millennials are not exactly known as, uh, in general, being very libertarian. I do think, though, as we go through these 16 points, you'll see... Why I'm saying that, so we've now gotten so big in the world of crypto that we're bringing in plenty of people who are, you know, Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives, whatever you want to call them, right, socialists, etc. Because the, the, the thing that pulls people in initially is, hey, I can either make money on this or I can stop losing money through inflation. So people come to this for mostly greed is, is the initial motivator. Uh, once we've gotten into the broader space. And, and greed is not always bad. Greed can be good, in the words of a famous movie. Um, because now we have institutional investors coming in like crazy. We have billionaires coming in like crazy. So one of the things I've talked about recently, to just know the direction of things at the macro, is that back when I got involved in Bitcoin, it was 2014. And the only mistake I've ever made in Bitcoin is not buying more. That's the only mistake I've ever made. Um, it was people like me arguing about it. You know, mid-level influencers, podcasters, YouTube creators, and stuff like that. A few years back from there, you know who was arguing about Bitcoin? Geeks. Geeks and nerds. That was it. That was all, you know, it was all crypto cypherpunks and, and geeks and nerds. They could figure out how to do it before there were exchanges and things like that. You go a couple of years later, and you had venture capitalists, Silicon Valley types, arguing, is it Bitcoin or blockchain? Remember that whole meme that proved to be wrong? You know, blockchain, not Bitcoin? Wrong answer. But it was millionaires, multimillionaires, arguing about Bitcoin four years ago. Who are you about Bitcoin now? 
billionaires and billion-dollar institutions. That tells you the direction we're headed. So it can't all be libertarians. But what happens when the individual gets involved? I believe it actually creates almost like a libertarian or anarcho-magnet. Like, so instead of, like, initially, yeah, Bitcoin was the anarcho-magnet that drew in the anarchists and the libertarians and the, at least the, the, the pure capitalists. But now what you have is they get drawn into Bitcoin because, hey, I can make money here. And then as they begin to educate, well, what is this, right? As they get wrecked with doggy coins and crap like that, eventually like, well, what is it that makes this better? Then they get drawn into the world of libertarianism and capitalism, etc., because of sound money principles. And I think the number one thing that Bitcoin has made the average person who's gotten involved with it aware of is the evils of engineered inflation. And that's way more important than inflation is bad. You know, inflation is bad, okay? No, engineered inflation. We have been conditioned to accept inflation for so long, for so many generations. The average American, the average person in the Western world believes what? That inflation is inevitable. There's no way to get it. Like, inflation is just a thing. Like, the weather is a thing, Like the sun is a thing. Like the moon is a thing. Like inflation is just a thing. It's just what happens. I've always thought inflation didn't make a lot of sense to me because the things that people adopt in mass go through deflation. TV sets go through deflation. Um, mobile devices go through deflation. Computers go through deflation. Anything that's produced to economy of scale goes through a deflationary curve. Think of what you can buy a 65-inch badass TV today for... And then think about what, like, the first 40-inch projection, horrible, the big, giant, fat ones. Like, it doesn't really make sense that we have inflation. And it's not the cost of goods going up. It's the value of money going down. And as you learn that, you realize it's not a thing in that it just happens. It actually has to be caused to happen. I remember when I read uh, Robert Kiyosaki's book many years ago, almost 20 years ago now, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, for the first time. And Rich Dad tells young Robert, No, inflation it doesn't make sense. In a well-run and ordered society, prices on everything over time should go down. You can only have the inflation that we have today with engineering monetary creation to exceed monetary demand. Right? You have a couple people say it's printing money. It's not just printing money. It's the velocity of money. It's how fast money moves and multiplies through the economy through fractional reserve banking. And again, I talked about this with you guys that listen to the podcast forever and a day. Long before I ever heard the word Bitcoin, I talked about fractional reserve banking, how banks print money out of thin air. It's not just the government. In fact, the government doesn't print any money. The, the, the giant banking cartel called the Federal Reserve prints money, but then all the little satellite banks, all the credit card companies, everybody that issues debt is printing money. And when you, when you begin to put your assets in a safe haven like Bitcoin, and people call it an inflation hedge, and I think if you're looking over 10 years, it's certainly an inflation hedge. If you're looking over 10 days or 10 months, it's not. There's way too much volatility in all crypto right now to call it an inflation hedge if you're going to spend the money this year. It might work out really good for you. It might work out really bad for you. It might kind of equalize. But over the long term, you start to understand that by limiting supply, 100% finite limitation of supply kills inflation. You can't have inflation. You can have a supply and demand curve where something's so in demand the price on it goes up, but overall macro inflation does not exist with a fixed monetary supply. As soon as you see that, 
then you realize how, how freaking evil engineered inflation is because it's not like the price goes up for everybody. The closer people are to the faucet, the monetary faucet, the banking system, the less, um, the less problems that they have with this because they actually benefit from it. So you realize that the wealthy of the world are actually taxing the bulk of the world through inflation. It's a hidden tax. And I think that th that alone is enough. That like, you know, they have like the man of the year or whatever. Like there was a joke in the Simpsons where the man of the year in a Simpsons episode was a carbon rod that saved the day in outer space when Homer went to space. And like, so instead of a person, it was a thing. Bitcoin should be the, 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 the man or the thing of the decade for that alone, if, it, if that was actually a thing. The next is the dishonesty of the so-called free market. I think this one hits people that are more right-thinking in the beginning than those that are left-thinking. The left, of course, doesn't believe in a free market. They think it's all corruption, etc. So they're not real surprised to find out that the supposed free market of the United States and Western countries isn't really a free market. Um, that's not anti-free market. That is an admission that the free market that you think exists doesn't. How can we have a free market when we have people who, through no, no virtue, no nothing of their own doing, no merit, have unlimited access to funding, and people who work their ass off have almost no access to funding? How can you have a free market in that position? How can you have a, how can we say it's a free market? If let's say I'm one of these banking cartels or I'm connected to the banking cartel and say, hey, we're both going to open up a widget factory. And I go, yeah, you know what I'd like? I'd like $50 billion to start my widget factory. And they just go, here you go, Mr. Spearco, for 1% interest. And if you don't pay it back, screw it. Go bankrupt. It's okay. And you start out pulling yourself up by your bootstraps in your garage. When you look at the world of cryptocurrency and you realize how many projects, some good, some bad, but have been funded through the issuance of cryptocurrency and, and a market willingly deciding, yes, I want to invest in this idea or this concept. People who took things from a garage in four coders to a massive success in a couple of years because no one got in the way because there was no regulation in the beginning. And you realize that's how these bastards have been doing it all the time. Then you start to realize like this, this free market nonsense that they talk about. We don't have a free market. Let me tell you what we would have if we had a free market. First of all, there wouldn't be tons of doctors and nurses and firemen and police officers no longer doing their jobs that we're extorted with our money to pay for because they refuse to get a shot. You don't have that in a free market. You don't have that in a free market. You wouldn't have government telling employers, if you have more than X number of employees, you have to make your people get a shot or you have to fire them. We wouldn't have that in a free market. That's just the beginning. And we can go pre-COVID and we have a ton of other shit that says we do not live in a free market. As soon as you look at voluntary monetary cre creation, being able to determine which monetary good you choose for yourself you realize how fictitious the supposed free market ever was. Next, and I kind of alluded to this already, but the, the cost of money to the elite versus the cost of money to you. This is something cryptocurrency should make amazingly abundant. See, the, the reason cryptocurrency, and specifically Bitcoin, 
actually does level the playing field. And since there's a finite amount, I can't go to my buddy and go, hey, you know what? We're buddies. Just print me some Bitcoins. It doesn't work that way. And people that don't understand crypto will say, well, there's cryptos where you can do that. Sure there are. They don't do really well long term now, do they? We're talking about solid projects that work here. And anybody can take a shot at doing it that way if they want to. You don't get to do that in the banking system. You don't get to issue yourself $50 billion worth of debt because you feel like it. There is a, a, a hierarchy in society that's less about how much you have and rather more about how much you can get for nothing. And it has to do with access to finance. And the higher you are up on that tier, and it doesn't necessarily mean that, well, you're a better risk. It just means that you have more access. And as you start digging into crypto, you learn about that really, really quickly. Number four is the need for a way to honestly save money. You can't honestly save money today. Well, you can if you stack Satoshi's. All right. If you stack sats, you can save money. That's why it reveals the need for it. Most people alive today have never lived at a time when you could legitimately say, I'm saving my money. Now, some of us lived at a time not so long ago, about 30 years, where I could go down to the bank and I could open an account and I could just have a very safe, legitimate savings account and I could earn somewhere between 4% and 8% on my money while real inflation was somewhere in the neighborhood of 4%. Hence, I could actually save cash. Laddered CDs made it really easy to actually do. You could, back in the 80s, I still remember making like my first CD I ever bought as a teenager, making eight and a quarter percent on a three year CD. Yeah, you could save money that way, but you really weren't saving money. You were custodying money with a third party who was playing a shell game and giving you some of the shells. But you couldn't save money in that. Remember all the stories about the old lady with the box of money under the mattress or whatever? If you did that, inflation ate your savings. And it, it does so more today than back then, but it, even back then it did it. And what I mean by that is let's say that you put $100 under your mattress and real inflation that year was 5%. Well, you have $95 under your mattress. And by the way, you're going to have $91 under your mattress next year unless you add some more, which will also be subject to this inflationary tax, which is what it is. Which means I can't just save money. Think about that. We're taught our whole lives, work hard and save your money, but you can't. This forces us into investments that we really don't understand. And the ones that are blessed by our overlords, our government gods, and say, you can buy these stocks that we've already funded with your money. But if you want to get into the good investments, we'll get to that in a bit. No, you're not, you're not, you're not qualified to determine that for yourself. You have to go into this world that benefits us every time you put your money into it. You have to risk your money. We'll bail out the big corporations with your money. We'll force you into their investments with your money. But we will take enough of your money that you have no choice but if you ever want to think about retiring, to chunk your money into all these investment vehicles that you really don't understand and you have no real say over. You, you can't just save dollars. And if you think about how insidious that is, the currency you earn cannot be accumulated over time without significant risk and result in any sort of real battery of reserves. 
It's designed that way. Again, we're back to the, the engineered systemic inflation. But there's no other place. People say gold or whatever. Yeah, all the people that say that, most of them have no gold, by the way. They just like the person that talks about gold on the Internet. Um, when we have something like a Bitcoin as an asset, we can now save money. We can actually accumulate wealth over time. Next, the real cancer of consumer debt. Because everything I've talked about up till now really revolves around monetary creation. And as soon as you understand monetary creation, then you under, then, only then can you understand what debt is. Only then can you, you cannot actually fundamentally understand debt. Right? Person that doesn't understand monetary creation that says they understand debt, that's like the person that says they understand E equals MC squared, but they can't do the math behind it. No, you don't. You believe it, but you don't understand it. When you understand how money is created through debt, then you understand why debt would allow for monetary creation. And as soon as you understand that, you realize that all the people on the other side of the equation, right, on the other side of that equal sign are the losers. That's how the equation balances. Somebody For that formula to work, there has to be an extraction. And consumer debt is the largest form of extraction of wealth in our society today. And we now have to make consumer debt include things like Student loans, right? Student loans are consumer debt. You're buying a deflationary asset with a deflationary currency at an exorbitant interest rate that continues to go up in price, subsidized by the ability to easily borrow money because they're going to make you pay it back if they have to garnish your Social Security wages. Yay! Yay! That's the cancer of consumer debt. And if it's a TV set, it's just a shorter-term cancer. It just metastasizes a little bit more quickly, and it's more like that skin cancer. You get half your nose cut off, but you live. But as a cancer, most people live with their entire lives. As soon as we understand consumer-level debt, we understand why I've been calling it cancer since 2008. There wasn't even any cryptocurrency yet. Like I said, these things predate crypto, but crypto reveals them for us. Next up, is the tyranny of national debt. Once, once, people don't have any clue. There's a guy asking a question here. I'll, I'll put it up for you. I'm not going to go into it in the show. This shows the complete ignorance of what trading means. Anyway, um, <laughs> so if you understand consumer level debt, then you understand the insidious nature of debt. So, but at least when you're like, well, I want a degree in gender studies with a minor in, I don't know, how to scratch the ass of a raccoon, and you go into $150,000 worth of debt for a degree like that, which probably exists, the scratch the ass of the raccoon part of it, and then you end up in debt for the rest of your life with that. They may have done a lot of propaganda while you were in grade school or what have you, but at least you chose it. You chose... To get into that debt on your own. You looked at the big screen TV and said, yeah, you know, I want it now. So you chose to put it on your freaking credit card or what have you. Like, you made that decision. What if somebody could do it to you? What if somebody was like, I want a big screen TV. Screw Jesse M. Jesse's in the, in the chat right now. Screw him. He's buying it for me. I'm going to finance it on his credit 
and I'm going to buy it. We call that identity theft when it happens at the consumer level, right? What do we call it at the national level? Sound Western monetary policy. So once you learn about the cancer of consumer debt, then you can't help but understand the tyranny of national debt. Your, your country can only borrow money because they have the power to tax you in the future. The national debt is literally a loan against your labor, your children's labor, and your grandchildren's labor tomorrow. If you didn't understand that before you understood the finite nature of something like Bitcoin, then you really should understand it afterwards. And some of you are going, these are some pretty high-level uh, concepts. I don't believe that everybody gets into Bitcoin understands the cancer of consumer debt and the tyranny of, of national debt. I don't, I don't believe it either. Like I said, this is a revealing over time. But the deeper you go into a fundamental understanding of this, the more these things reveal themselves. That's what I'm saying. There are people today that are 35 years old, that have a substantial savings in Bitcoin. They're saving, truly saving, for the first time in their life. And I'll even give the, the shitty you know, 0.1% interest rate savings account as savings in that, that description. What I mean is they've never had money that they've actually saved ever in their life. And when they get a hold of something like Bitcoin, they look at it and go, I don't want to spend this. Because the entire point of creating inflation is to make you spend money as fast as it gets in your hands. That's why it's engineered that way. It's to create spending. They even stated, if you read the Federal Reserve documents, that by creating significant inflation, we create significant velocity of money, and thereby the expansion of the monetary base, and that's good for the economy. In other words, we extract the life force of people for the entire time they're around, due to their ignorance of monetary policy. I gave you the kind of textbook version first, but that's, that's the understood version. That's what the understanding mind reads when they read the first part I gave you. The extraction of your life force. And that's what I'm saying, when this stuff is revealed over time, as we become more and more in understanding with the fact that somebody created a system that allowed for the creation of money... And the state had nothing to do with it. And then all these things begin to become understood. You also learn something else. You learn something else. And I think almost everybody that gets involved with cryptocurrency gets to this one pretty quick. And again, this is one I've been preaching since 2008, before there was a Bitcoin, before there was cryptocurrency. The futility of, and the futility and the stupidity of following the rules. And I don't mean like, okay, let's just go out and start knocking old ladies over and stealing their, their Social Security money. That's not what I mean by following the rules. I mean following the rules that society has told you you have to follow even though they're not actually rules. Like everyone should go to college. I think when you get involved with cryptocurrency, you realize like, maybe I should go to college. Maybe if I really want to build like the next amazing technology that leverages or uses cryptocurrency and I want to take a computer science degree, maybe, maybe that makes sense. Or if... You know, I want to invest in myself and become a doctor. Maybe that makes sense. Or if I want to get really good at accounting and I want an accounting degree, maybe that makes sense. But, like, what do I actually want to do? Because if I actually have the ability to save and invest in myself, this, win, the, 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 this curtain that they've draped over everything that told you you had to do what they said, 
which almost inevitably leads to a lifetime of debt. Because as I've preached forever, we should not have 70% of people going to university. 70% or more of people now go to college. 70% of people should not be going to college. There's not enough room in hierarchies of organizations for that many people with that level of education unless the education itself is substandard. I mean, if you can't understand that, dig into cryptocurrency. It'll start revealing it to you. But when we're watching people, somebody, let's say like a Jack Maulers, who I believe is a college dropout, build a multinational corporation starting in his freaking extra closet in his apartment. We say, well, what would Jack Maulers have gained by having a freaking PhD in computer programming? He can employ all of those he wants to right now. Some of the greatest successes in this country as industrialists ever had never been to a university. They sent their kids to universities, right? Which, in some instances, might have been a real mistake. This is an anti-college. This is just one example of a rule, and the problem with the rule is everybody. Well, not everybody should do any one th There's not one thing everybody should do other than maybe, like, breathe and stay alive. The, co the country has something like 330 million, 340 million people in it. We don't even really know anymore because how many people are coming without being counted, right? Call 350 million people. To say everyone about anything for 350 million people is asinine beyond all ability to think. And when you start looking at cryptocurrency and you start realizing all the things that can be done with it, then you start actually, the reason this, this is not about Bitcoin itself or Ethereum or whatever. This is about looking at something and going, here's this simple thing. It's really easy to understand. There's only, you know, X number million of them, and this is how they get created, and this is how they're secured, and this is how they're transferred, and this is why somebody can't take it from you unless you're stupid. And you start learning, and then you say, well, what are all the things that this one thing can do? And you start realizing there's like thousands of applications of just Bitcoin. Thousands of applications. Well, that starts to open the mind, doesn't it, to like, well, what... Well, I'm a far more complex being than Bitcoin. Well, what can I do? And the answer is going to be seldom. Well, even though you don't know what you want, you should just take out you know, a loan of twenty-five dollars to $35,000 a year for the next four years or five or six to get a degree in, I don't know, communications, gender studies, ass-wiping 101, whatever it is. Like You actually should have a purpose to your life. And I believe that as you become aware of monetary policy, how it works, and how it's been used against you, your parents, your grandparents, and your great-grandparents for over a century now, you might just decide that you shouldn't take advice from the people that have been using it to extract your life force and your family's life force and have already extracted the life force of your grandchildren in advance of their birth. And if you're older like me, your great-grandchildren, these pricks that give you their rules for how your life can be great have already extracted the life force of great-grandchildren you will never know in advance of their birth, and you're going to follow their rules? I call that futile and stupid because they have a plan, and their plan benefits them, not you. Next, the true centers of power. The true centers of power. You realize the government is not who has power. 
When you understand monetary creation, inflation, deflation, how to control the monetary supply, how to leverage money, as soon as you learn that, you realize governments are shit compared to the actual power centers in the world. The, the government is nothing but a tool for those in power. To say that the government has the power is to say that the gun has the power. Right? Now, I could take a gun, stick it in your face, and make you give me something. I can do that. Can that gun do it without me? Or some other being picking that gun up and using it? If I take a gun... Here, this will probably upset the people on YouTube. I take my, my, uh, my CZ here, and I set this over here on the table. Can it do anything? Can this weapon do anything outside of my hand or somebody else's hand? And the answer is no. Government's the gun. Money is the leverage, and the, he who holds the money wields the power of both. And so when you want to know where the power in this world is, it lies in the hands of when a single man can silence a president of the United States, whether you like him or not. That's fucking power, folks. That's fucking power. When somebody can decide, ah, let's just change things so that this particular product doesn't get to this particular place until I want it to. That's power. When you can have 400 channels, but six companies control the message on all of them, that's fucking power. And that power comes from money. When anybody that wants to can speak and yet still be silenced whenever the people in power want that person silenced, that's power. Even in the technological marvel that we exist in, it's money that has the power. Because government, no matter where it is, no matter what form it exists in, will always, shall always, and has always been for sale. And the way you can make government for sale is by being able to cheaply create money out of thin air. It's been said that in the past, when governments were subject to the limitations of gold, gold was the governor of governance. I don't remember who said that for the first time. But gold is the governor of governance. Or gov gold is the governor of governments. The government had a limitation. And the reason it had a limitation was because even the wealthy had a limitation on how much of this stuff they could acquire. He said, well, gold, gold is hard money. Yeah, and what happened when the New World was discovered, specifically South American wealth, and the conquistadors took almost, like, almost doubled the global supply of gold in a few decades? The known gold, you know, not really reserves, but gold, tangible gold. What happened then? You think that was without consequence? So even with gold, if the price of gold goes up, Everybody digging for gold digs deeper. There's a lot more gold than people think there is. But when you run up against an absolute finite scarcity, then you now have a new governor of governments. Because now you have a limitation, because what you have is basically this game of grab-ass going on, 
where when I'm a billionaire and I need more money, I just rub the ass of the right government official and more money comes out of the spigot that I can pay them with. It was a very convenient arrangement. And this is the, this is the absolute truth, guys. This might be hard for some of you to hear because some of you are very anti-crypto. This shit's true whether Bitcoin exists or not. All I'm saying is that when you dig into that world, you start to see this far more clearly. People that you could never have, this is what I'm really saying. Like the majority of people that get involved with cryptocurrency are not going to realize all these things. Because the majority of people are not going to realize all these things. Because it's too counter to their programming. But people who would have never realized any of them will begin to realize many of them. It is an unveiling. It is an, it is an opening in some ways. The next is the real power of hard money. Now, I've talked about this before, but if you go, to, for instance, to like New York City, Manhattan, if it's if you're willing to take your life in your hands at this point and do that. But if you walk through some of the streets in Manhattan, and you look at some of these buildings that were built like 150 years ago, especially the churches, and you look at the ornate, beautiful decoration of the building itself. I'm talking the entire building is a sculpture. Some of you have seen that, right? You know what I'm talking about. You can't build that building today. You can't. It cannot be built today. You can't afford to build that building today. You have to build cheap and quick and designed to expire. That's what we build today. Back when I was in cable uh, and, and, and networking and things like that, I remember when companies like uh, Buratech and Lucent and uh, uh, Nordics, etc., all the companies that made uh, the jacks and the cables, uh, Ortronics, etc., they came up with these warranties. 25-year warranty on the cable and the jacks. And every single sales rep, when they were honest behind the scenes, would say, that shit's pull string in five years. Of course we warranty it for 25. That thinking... That's soft money thinking. Well, since it'll be cheaper to build it again in a new way in 20 years, let's just build it for 20 years. Let's build it for 10 years. When you're dealing with hard money, where the value of money doesn't go down over time, and you're building something that can last, you build it to last. That's why we have cathedrals that are a thousand years old or older. That's the power of hard money, is longevity, it's legacy. And we'll get into more of that, so I'll, I'll cut that one short there. The next thing, though, and this one just warms my heart. Man, when I think about this one, you know that we're coming up on Christmas, and you got the Grinch, and they say his little heart grew the sizes of ten Grinches that day or some shit like That's what happens to me. My heart grows the size of 10 R anarchists when I think of this next one. Bitcoin shows better than anything that's ever happened in my adult lifetime. The illegitimacy of government. The illegitimacy of government. Government is not a legitimate entity. It is force for the sake of force for those that have the power behind the force. But the way that Bitcoin reveals this is if we went back to 2005... Not that long ago, guys, right? Was it 16 years? Go back to 2005. And I said, we don't need government. Tell me why we need government. In addition to my roads and my schools, one thing the average person would be absolutely certain of 
that we absolutely have to have a government for is money. Who who would issue it? Where would it come from? Who would protect it? Who would defend it? How would we know it's not counterfeited? Like, these would have all been very good questions. Even a person like me, well, we can use gold. Okay. And then you can start laying out the limitations of gold and be like, well, we can still make it work. Well, how do, how do we conduct international commerce without a government to defend? You, you see what I'm saying? Like, there is a, there is a legitimate thing there. That not, we couldn't have worked around it, but there are some legitimate objections to that. If you don't need a government to create, defend, and secure the primary financial good that we call money, we don't need it for anything. We don't need it for shit. If we can create our own money, and society has done so, in a one, now think about this too. In a 100% voluntary manner, no one has ever forced Bitcoin's success on anybody. No one took from anybody to build the Bitcoin network, which is the most powerful and secure network the humans have ever created. No one took from anybody to build it. Every single person that said... I'm going to buy an ASIC ant miner or whatever, bought it and tendered consideration for it from what they earned. And in fact, they did it with what they had left ever somebody else stole from them in the form of taxation. And it still became the most successful thing measured by money. It's the most successful thing measured by money and value that humans have ever done 100% voluntarily. If humans acting on their own self-interest without interference and despite interference from government, can create an international monetary instrument that works, is secure, that can be custodied by individuals where it can't be taken from them by anybody unless they're dumb enough to give away the information, that is completely borderless, that is completely paperless. I can go anywhere with a, a, a pattern of words in my head and have access to my wealth, and you don't get it. If humans can do that without government... We don't need government. Government is truly illegitimate. And those of you that are minarchists or you're still you know, conservatives, Republicans, liberals, whatever, and you don't see that yet, it's okay. Everybody comes to these unveilings over time. But if you get what I just said, then no matter how much you are convinced, we still need a government. We've just taken one of the primary roles of governance And we've privatized it. The only thing interfering with it at this point is government itself. And gee, I wonder why an entity would interfere with a thing that threatens its very existence. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, the next. Because this is one I didn't even know was a thing. But, I mean, if, if Bitcoin doesn't show you how stupid this idea is, then I think maybe understanding like who the Roth of Rockefellers and the Rothschilds, etc. are should Supporting the dollar is not patriotic. I, I, I've started to have in, on social media like boomo, boomers and pseudo-boomers, and like most of them are Trump-tards, crawling out of the woodwork. I prefer the good U.S. old U.S. dollar. What the fuck are you talking about? I'm dead serious. What the fuck are you talking about? There is no U.S. dollar, you dumbass. There's a certificate of debt. There's no dollar. 
There is no dollar in the modern economic system. It doesn't exist. It's a certificate for debt owed by your government on your behalf with your responsibility to repay it to people that did nothing for it. There is no dollar. There's no dollar. A dollar would indicate that there is some reserve that this paper instrument is based on. It's not, quit calling it fiat. Fiat's evil as shit, but it's about a thousand times better than what we have. Fiat would be the government says, hey, we'll, we'll cover this somehow, and we'll issue it, and we don't owe anybody shit. That would be fiat. Fiat is, I've just decreed that this money is money. We have a backing to our currency, and it's not a promise from government. It's a debt to entities, many of them foreign, most of them domestic in the form of global banks that are centered in the United States. They don't run away. They don't they don't set their bank up over in some other, you know, like island nation or something like that. They don't have to. They, the the real money doesn't go offshore. Real money might actually enable their buddies to go offshore, but the real money doesn't go offshore. Why would they? They pull every lever of every politician. Their money's safe and they just print more whenever they want it. Yeah, supporting the dollar As a patriotic thing, in my life, I never heard anything so stupid. But apparently it's a thing. Well, guys, and somebody says, you know, the Fed is the Fed is unconstitutional. Whether the Fed is constitutional or not is irrelevant to what I just said. I actually think the Federal Reserve, as an entity, is completely constitutional. And the reason it's constitutional is so many of you missed the most important part of Constitution. The first three letters. The con. The con. If I give you the power over something, you have every right to abdicate that power to a third party. So Congress was given the power over monetary creation. Congress at the federal level was never limited to silver and gold. That only applies to the states. If you read the actual Constitution, Constitution. Um, so if they wanted to create an entity with their light supervision or whatever the hell they want to call it to do their bidding for them, or if you're right, it doesn't matter. That is irrelevant to the fact that there's nothing patriotic about being a good old American citizen supporting a good old U.S. dollar. And I know where that's come from. The Great Pumpkin, the Orange Man. I like the dollar is what he says, right? You know, I'll, oh, I can't do Trump. You know, I like the dollar. You know, I sound more like Hank Hill than Tr Donald Trump. Um, there's nothing patriotic about the dollar. You can make a case maybe there was at a time. But I'll tell you what. The more our money started having pictures of founders and politicians and presidents on it, the less patriotic our money became. There was a time, again, not that long ago, my grandfather was alive when it was the case. None of our money had any presidents on it. We had symbols of, like, peace and eagles and stuff like that. If you watch every banana republic, the progression it makes is you go from symbols that aren't individual cults of personality, to great leaders of the past, to putting the, the figurehead of someone alive today on the money. We're not far off from that, I'm guessing. I don't even think people would get upset if it did. Guys, it's not patriotic to support the dollar, because the dollar is not a U.S. currency. It's a U.S. debt instrument. And it just is. Next. I think this is more an advanced thing, because this only clicked for me recently, and by recently I mean that 
the last four years that I've really understood this at the level I do now. You know, I said debt was so bad. It depends. I said consumer debt. I said financing a depreciating asset so you can have it today is cancer. I didn't say debt itself is cancer, did I? So what you learn when you begin to actually leverage hard money long-term, and just think of it, not even hard money, hard assets long-term, how the rich use debt and never pay tax. One of the classic ways to do this in the past was real estate, right? That's why Donald Trump said, no, I don't pay shit for tax. You're right. Based on my income, I pay nothing because it's real estate and I'm smart. He's actually right. Well, the people that work for him are smart anyway. And a classic way that you would do this is you, you know, buy a whole block of property in Manhattan back in the 1800s. And every so often you refinance parts of it. You take debt on an appreciating asset that can continuously be refinanced. And you create a cash flow yourself in the form of debt. How much tax do you pay on debt? The answer is zero. So you create multi-generational wealth. You can extract equity from anytime you want and never pay any tax. Kind of cool, isn't it? And the longer you hold it, the more it becomes true. The weakness of real estate, though, is, of course, you have to pay property tax, but you know you put a tenant in there, and you just charge them the property tax, but it's still there. There's no property tax on Bitcoin. And I'm going to tell you right now, all you people, they're going to do it. They're gonna, no, they're not. No, they're not. Because remember what I started out with? Who's arguing about Bitcoin now? Who's arguing about cryptocurrency now? The billionaires. The billionaires are sticking their hand in the crypto kitty as deep as they can, as fast as they can. I believe the current price has actually been held back. That's why you got ETFs that are futures ETFs before you got a spot ETF, even though a spot ETF is way safer for the average investor because they're using these futures contracts to suppress price for as long as they can get away with it because they're late, because the average person for the first time in the history of the world front and ran their asses. We have billionaires today, billionaires, not just millionaires, billionaires today because of this. There were nobodies 10 years ago. That's a fact. You can try to deny it all you want. You can keep shouting tulip mania until you give yourself a heart attack. It ain't going to change reality. But when you get into an asset like this, and if you ever level the deflationary curve of Bitcoin, in other words, how much value it goes up by, and it even... It only starts being like an annual appreciation of like 10%. person with a few million dollars in Bitcoin will be able to pay themselves a six-figure salary till they die and die with just as much Bitcoin as they started out with and leave it to their heirs who will be able to continue to do it just like the real estate moguls in Manhattan did. And it doesn't matter if you do it with Bitcoin. It's the fact that you can do it. Again, You're looking at a situation. This is how this works. You're playing a game and you're following the rule book they gave you. They have a totally different rule book for themselves. But you're allowed to break all the fucking rules you want. You're allowed to do all the shit they do too. You just have to figure out that you can do it and how to do it, what the risks are and how to mitigate them. That's why they send their children to a different educational structure than you go to. You understand that, don't you? Their children are educated in these this set of rules over here, and you're educated in this set of rules over here. 
their children learn their rules and your rules and how your rules serve them. And this is one of the primary ways. How many of you knew this? You knew that you could take an appreciating asset, borrow against it, and as long as you borrowed less than its appreciating value, you could pay yourself with it forever and never pay tax. Remember what I said like in my prelude to this when I put it out that this live stream is going to happen, that like this is the shit that we should be teaching children in school, but they will never, ever, 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 infinity, teach your kids this in school? Doesn't that seem like a kind of an important fucking thing to know? That, hey, you can actually borrow money from your own appreciating asset. If you drop it in Excel, you're conservative with it. You take projections, cut them in half as a safety net. And you can make money for the rest of your life and never pay any tax on it because you have no income. Hey, oh, they're going to shut that loophole. The fuck they are? Are you stupid? It's their loophole. They wrote it for themselves. Don't you understand that? They're not going to do anything that hurts them. And it's not like everybody's going to figure this out. What I'm saying is this world reveals this to those who will allow it to be revealed. And most still won't. Most still won't. Next. Oh, the value of privacy and security and how they're different. And somebody's going to say, Bitcoin's a surveillance coin. Yeah, I know the guy with the cute little dog that eats tacos keeps telling you that. That's fine. That's fine. It's the big dog. It's the one everybody should own some of. It's not the only option. But I think we're like four days away from something called Taproot, and all the people talking shit about this don't even know what the hell a Taproot is. We're not talking about an oak tree here. But Bitcoin's primary means of being used as a currency and actually transferred and moved around. By the way, this doesn't matter anyway because you shouldn't be spending your Bitcoin. It's what you'd call a trophy asset, but whatever. Uh, if you do want to move it around, especially in small amounts, actually buy, you know, I don't know, a cell phone or drink or something. Lightning, which is a layer two protocol is a way to do that. When you take lightning and taproot and put them together, I'm not saying you can't start out with a transaction and eventually figure, but it ain't like the regular Bitcoin blockchain boys and girls. There's not enough computing power in the world to figure all that shit out. And the IRS can take its $600 transaction reporting requirement and stick it right up its fucking ass once you have Lightning and Taproot. Right up its ass. Not to mention something like Monero or Pirate Chain, right? Or these other privacy cryptos. Or What if you wanted to stay in Bitcoin so you took something like wrapped Bitcoin and then used the DeFi instrument to create a privacy coin leveraged against it? Good fucking luck with that, boys and girls. So privacy, even if the, little, the guy with the little dog that eats tacos is right, okay? And even if Bitcoin is as bad as they say it is, and it's not, but even if it is, doesn't that show you the need for privacy? Because, yeah, your fucking bank account's private. Give me a break, right? People that are saying that, and you're like, well, how do you pay your bills every month? MasterCard and Visa through a debit card system attached to your bank account. You think that's private? Are you special? Do you have corks on your forks at home? I hope you do if you believe that your transactions through that system are private to your government in any way. Your government can get all that information anytime they want, and they always have been able to. Okay? 
So the need for privacy is revealed even where there are flaws in privacy. But once you have a flaw in a system that anybody can work on, that anybody can develop technology for, anywhere in the world you start to plug the holes. That's lightning, that's taproot, and more shit's coming. But now we understand the need for privacy better than we ever have. The specter of everything you do being monitored, it was already there. You just didn't see it. But since you wanted to resist tulip mania, you came up with this bullshit excuse. But now you, ha you can't not see the need for privacy. The other side, though, we have two things that we need in our lives, privacy and security. Bitcoin is the most secure asset that's ever existed on the planet for the individual ever. Because, you know what? I have Bitcoin. Go ahead and take it. Go ahead. Good luck. Take it. Go ahead right now. I'm looking at my balance over here. It's not going down. Whoever you are that can take it whenever you want, you're not doing it. Why aren't you doing it? There's quite a bit of it there. If you take it, you can have it. I won't even come after you. You can tell me who you are. Oh, you can't? See? It's secure because of the supposed problem of all those computers whirring and whirring and whirring every day. All of that shit. You know what that is? That exists for one primary purpose. The security. Instead of a shitload of nuclear-powered submarines and aircraft carriers and missiles and guys paid to shoot people in other countries, which is what secures the dollar, voluntary contribution from members on the network secure Bitcoin. And if the United States gets really stupid about how they handle Bitcoin, I'll just leave. Now, if I'm worth a few million bucks and it's in United States bank accounts, they're going to tell me how much of it I'm allowed to take with me now, aren't they? And yes, they will, in case you're confused. You can have absolutely the square root of fuck all of my Bitcoin, or any other crypto that I have, because I don't have any. I don't actually have any cryptocurrency. You understand that, right? Because where is it? I have the knowledge of some numbers that allow me to control a thing. And there's your bonus. Wealthy people do not wish to own things They wish to control them because you are far better off controlling a thing than owning a thing. I'll leave that one hang. You can figure that out for yourself. But you're much, much better off having control over a thing than ownership over a thing for a hundred reasons. Next. Uh, you know how one of the things we're really proud of in our Constitution? Separation of church and state. Do you know why we need a separation of church and state? It's not to protect you and your religion from the state. It's to protect me, who doesn't share your religion, from your religion using the power of the state to tell me what I have to believe and what I have to do. Because religion by itself only has power over people that believe the particular religion and choose to participate in it. And the state by itself has its own limitations on power. If it has to operate as a sole entity, if it doesn't have something like a church to give it artificial authority or artificial power or leverage the power that the religion has through the apparatus of the state, it's also inherently limited. We have a much bigger problem, though, and there's no separation between it at all anymore. And it results in something called economic fascism. And that is there's no separation of industry in the state. 
Again, C-O-N, Constitution. If we really wanted to keep interference out of government and have government only exist for the service of the people that the government is supposed to serve, right next to government and religion not playing grab-ass with each other would have been an amendment preventing government and corporations from playing grab-ass together. Because far more evil can be done with that. Far more evil can be done with that. And that's why they moved the creation of money into the hands of the banks themselves. It can be done through the auspice of government. This is like religion loaning authority to government in the mind of the governed. The bank controls the faucet. The government looks like it controls the faucet. But since the bank controls the faucet, whenever the bank wants the politician to do something, it opens the faucet for whatever entity serves it best, who then gives it to the politician to do the bidding of the industry. That's how, you're, that's how you're supposed government works. You live in an oligarchy. You live in a fascist oligarchy. That's the actual form of government you have. You, all you people out there, we're not a democracy, we're a republic. There's like 120 republics in the world. Republics are not magical. And by the way, an oligarchy is a kind of republic. There are some vestiges of the old republic. The fact that I have more freedoms in Texas than you do in New York is one of them. I'm glad it's here. But I'm not glad enough to lie to you about all the shit that's wrong with it. And this is something you learn as you delve into cryptocurrency, that we need separation between industry and the state. Bitcoin didn't need the government's help. And that's what they're saying now when they want to regulate it more. Yeah, cryptocurrency needs government. Wait a minute. Hold on a second, ass clowns. We grew this sector to two-plus trillion dollars in value with no help from you whatsoever. In fact, you got in the way wherever you could. And now we need you? Elizabeth Warren's talking shit about cryptocurrency might need a bailout from government someday. Why the fuck would we need a bailout from government? If you lose, you lose. That's how the world is supposed to work. You lose, you lose. But what if this thing goes bankrupt? It goes bankrupt. Tough shit. Most of it will. That's fine. That's why most of my wealth is in things like Bitcoin, not the next bullshit thing that you came up with that somebody told you about yesterday based on somebody's dog's asshole. Right? That's why I don't do that. Because all that shit is going to crash eventually. Basically, you made something more inflationary than fiat to counter fiat. You're an idiot. But let people make what they want. Let people do what they want. Getting wrecked in crypto is a big part of your education in crypto. Many of us already did it. We're trying to tell you now. You don't want to listen. That's okay. We're okay with it. Go get wrecked. We don't need government to bail us out. But what we definitely need is government and industry not to be playing grab ass with each other. They have each other's hands so far down each other's pants that they're fingering each other in the butt. And you wonder why you can't seem to get a fair shake. Complete control of all the apparatuses of power. Complete control. And it's because of this unholy alliance. We have a pure industry right now. It's going to get infiltrated. But the core of it remains pure. Voluntary association, and voluntary value. You learn that really quick. It's one of the first lessons you actually learn, if you're actually paying attention. The next is the ethics of multi-generational thinking. This is the single thing that has most destroyed the moral fabric of our country. If you think it's because Bill and Ted can now get married, 
Do we have a moral problem in this country? You don't understand the moral problem in this country at all. The moral problem in this country is fundamentally me first, me, 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 me. Even people that keep saying the age-old thing, I want my kids to have better than I did. But people don't say that because they mean like, I want to do so well that when I'm gone, everything I've done goes to my children and to their children and to their children. They don't mean that. They mean I want to kick them the fuck out of the nest and I want them to go to college because that's what they told me I'm supposed to do with my kids. And I want them to do so well that they don't have to worry about what I do anymore. In fact, maybe they'll come back and take care of me when I'm an old fuck. That's what people mean. And that is the primary means by which the morality of the Western world has been fucked. And if that bothers you, it should, but not because I said it. Because it's true. That's what they've ripped out of our country. The concept that what I do today, I do for a great-grandchild who I will never know, but I already love. They took that from us. And they took that from us when they made hard money into soft money. They took that from us when we stopped building with the best oak we could find and cherishing the timberlands from which they came and buying enough land that there would always be another oak tree. And looking at it and going, if I'm going to cut this one down, I'm going to plant four. Now we build with pine that comes from a plantation that grows in 12 to 15 years of land that we don't give a flying, flaming fuck about. And it all goes back to our money. It all goes back to our currency. If that's too much truth, I'm sorry. But all the bullshit you see on TV on either side of the talking head's nonsense, if it was important, they wouldn't be talking about it. That's why you've never heard a damn word of what I've said today on mainstream media ever infinity. Because they'll never talk about what's important. The way you know it's not important is if they're talking about it, it's not important. It might be important in the moment, but it's not important in the macro. It's not important to the grandchildren you'll never know or the great-grandchildren you'll never know. They'll never talk about that because it's not in their interest for them to do it. In fact, the ones talking about it don't even know what the fuck they're doing, guys. They, they're puppets with hands up their asses. But the ones doing the actual talking, they think multi-generationally. And they don't think that we're worthy of even being permitted to think that way. It's only an emotional pull string they'll use to convince you that you need to take public transport while they fly jets to Scotland or wherever the fuck they are now talking about global warming. And you have to be dumber than a simp to believe those people when they don't walk their walk. If I came on the air every, every day as part of my podcast and said, hey, You know what? It's important to give blood. You should give blood. It's important to give blood. You should give blood. If I did it every day, like what's his name? Bob Barker from uh, Price is Right. Those of you old enough to remember him, spay and neuter your pets right at the end. Every show, spay and neuter your pets. But what you have thought if you found out Bob Barker had a bunch of dogs running around that weren't spayed and neutered and were making little puppies and kittens and whatever all over the place? He's full of shit, right? So if I was sitting there telling you it's important to donate blood and telling you every day it's important to donate blood, and you send me an email, and I was honest about my bullshit, and said, well, Jack, how much blood have you donated? And I went, none. By the way, I'm O positive and can give to almost every person in the world, not every, but almost every. 
So my blood's really valuable, but I don't ever donate any of it, but you should. You'd say, this man is full of shit and I shouldn't listen to him anymore. All the people in power are exactly that. Their actions do not match their words because their words are not for them, they're for you. They're thinking about their great-grandchildren maintaining power over your great-grandchildren, and you're thinking about, did I save enough money that I can live until I die? And you pay somebody a fee to advise you on how to do that because they took away multi-generational wealth by taking our money and turning it from hard money into soft money. And if cryptocurrency doesn't bring you there, I don't know if it's worth the ride for you because whatever money you make, you're going to lose anyway if you don't understand that. The last thing, not only can we start thinking about multi-generational wealth now, what about control of your wealth after your death? Some of the most influential people that ever lived, their legacy is still setting policy and control today, even if their kids went off and became a bunch of fuck-ups. We have, you can think of whatever you want about the early industrialists, but things like Yellowstone, right, exists because the land was donated. These wealthy people set up trusts that were given directives and the trust lived after they died. But they're still subject to things like, oh, I don't know, the failure of a government, the corruptibility of the individual who's running the trust in the third generation thereof, etc. But you know what anybody will be able to do with Bitcoin or crypto in general, as long as it lasts? Smart contracts. When these requirements are met, this amount of funding is released to fund this thing that I want done. And if you don't do it, it just stays there. No one ever gets it. Sorry. Think about, instead of a will, being to actually able to be able to exercise your will 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years. 100 years after you're dead. And if it makes it 100 years, guess what? Slobs like us, first time in history we had that kind of power. To take our life's work, see to the needs of our offspring, and still pick something. Not write a check to the American Wolf Foundation or some shit that they're going to use to buy gas for the CEO's jet. To pick one thing or two things, depending on how much we have, three things, four, a hundred, depending on how much wealth we built. And say, I will touch these things for a century after you put me in the fucking ground. The wealthy have been doing it for millennia. Now you can do it. Now you can do it. And it is a, and, and smart contracts are going to be like when when blogging started it was hard to do a blog. You had to like program your own blog and shit. And then WordPress came out. And, like, you could pay somebody some money to update it for you. And now, like, if you can't update your WordPress blog, you can't type. Like, you update, just happens. Smart contracts are going to get like that. If this, then that. It, like, anybody will be able to sit down and develop their own smart contracts. And the first thing that will trigger the cascade will be your death. Instead of having an executor, you, have, you will have an executable. When I die, boom. This money goes here, this money goes there, that money goes there, and this money goes here. This money goes here with these conditions. As these conditions are met, this money releases this much funding. And like we talked about, when you leverage debt and debt instruments, the smart way with an appreciating asset, it could go on for 
hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. Do you get what I mean about why this is kind of important? This line of thinking? This way of thinking? Even if you achieve 10% of what I talked about today? How many of you even knew all of this before I started today? People that have listened to me for 10 years or more. I bet there's no one on here that didn't go at some point today, holy shit, you can do that? Even if you never do it, you might not. You might choose not to. You might not be good enough to do it. You might not be willing to put the effort in to do it. But I'll tell you when you'll never do a thing, when you don't know it's possible. Look how long it took man to figure out, hey, we can fucking fly. And look how long it took to go from there to walking on the moon. Look how long it took man to realize, hey, you know what? A man can run a four-minute mile. Look how many people did it as soon as it was known. This is a hidden world. The wealthiest people that have ever existed have hidden all of this knowledge in plain sight for millennia. Bitcoin doesn't make it true. Cryptocurrency doesn't make it true. It makes it more accessible and it makes it more understandable for those that wish to learn. So I hope that was a good one for you guys today. All right, guys, and like I said, I really do believe we should be teaching students these concepts, and, and far more. I could have made this 30 things. I could have made this 40 things. I, I, I don't think I would have had to try that hard to get up to 40. Getting much beyond that, it, it might have taken some real thinking, and I might have been stretching, but there are so many things about wealth, uh, about governance, about liberty, about freedom, about control, and the way that wealthy people live that we don't as a general population, not because of a lack of wealth, but a lack of understanding. It's, it's very akin to this. You're playing a game, and there's a whole list of rules of things that you can do that you think you can't do, that you can do, and your opponent knows they can do those things, and you don't. That's really a lot of the uncovering of things that we were talking about today. All right, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Let me remind you guys, if you like this show and the work that we do here, you can always support us, one, by becoming a member. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more about that. Uh, I did run a sale while I was away. I'm going to tell you this. Don't join today. If you missed on that sale and you're like, man, I should have joined what was on sale, there's something that's in my head I'm going to run a sale in the next day or two. I'm, I'm still digging out from vacation and going into the workshop to get set up. But I'm going to do something just just because I think it's funny. And I'm going to run another sale just because I think it's funny. But do consider becoming a member when that sale becomes available to you. All right. Um, the other way you can help support us is really simple. Do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. And you will find all the items I've ever reviewed. Uh, that I own, I spend my money on. If, if they're an item you kind of wear out or need to buy again, like today's item, I'll spend my money on them again. I mean, honestly, even if I'm using a product and I find a better product and, and that better product is, is routinely available, I'll take the other one down because I want to always be giving you my best value to price ratio on any recommendation I ever make right now at this moment. And, This is a product I brought to you first about a month ago. I just used a bunch of them again. I brought a bunch of shark steaks home and, and, and put them in the deep freezer with this. 
But they're a vacuum sealer bag made by a company called Avid Armor, A-V-I-D-A-R-M-O-R. And I have a whole write-up on them today. I give you a way that you can actually get better results from anybody's vacuum sealer bags and anybody's vacuum sealer, no matter what it is that you particularly use. But these are that value-to-price ratio that I'm talking about. You can buy super cheap bags, and they fail. You can buy really expensive bags, and they either stop failing or they fail anyway, and either way they're really expensive. Or you can find something that has the sweet spot of price and efficacy. And that's, to me, what these are. I am totally happy. Uh, I put a bunch of stuff up with them in the first month or two that I started using them. I, I used them for a month before um, I, I even brought them to you. Then I have a bunch of stuff that's in the freezers, and when I came home from Florida, I got all the shark steaks ready and some other fish fillets ready and got them all done and put them away. And then I checked all the bags that had been in the freezer for a month or two at this point. Zero failures. Zero makes me happy. I'm happy with like a whole bunch of stuff and you get only one because I've had so many fillers with so many other bags. Check these things out. Again, they're made by Avid Armor. Uh, and make sure if you if you use the link to find everything in the write-up, though, that you know they, they make chamber sealers and they make vacuum sealers. And I haven't tried either of their equipment yet. This is just their bags. And never try to buy chamber seal bags to use in a vacuum sealer. Chamber seals and vacuum sealers, they, they both use a vacuum, but they operate differently. The little ridges in a vacuum seal bag are so the air can get sucked out. In a chamber sealer, they basically remove all the air from the chamber and let the bag collapse so it doesn't need the little channels. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. I'm not doing songs of the week this week at all. Uh, it's one less thing to do this week. I'm actually going to be really kicking around what to do for the end of the show going forward. I, we've been doing the song of the day for so long now, uh, and I've covered you know hundreds of artists and music and, and tons of, like dozens of genres. I'm thinking maybe it's time to give that a break for a while. Maybe maybe through the rest of the year, maybe do something different. I don't know. Uh, but what I'm going to start doing, at least for the next week, is I'll be ending the show with just the full version of The Revolution is You, because you are the revolution. And dare I say, maybe we need a new version, The Insurrection is You. They pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you'll never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way You don't have to be another face in the crowd You don't have to live the way they tell you to Make your own way The others will follow Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. 
It's the price we pay, I guess, and we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Yeah.